Amen. You can be seated. Well, I get the, the great honor this morning of introducing someone who was, was my pastor for almost four years at Park Cities and was our pastor, Pastor Sam's pastor for several years also at Park Cities. And he was the pastor here at First McKinney for I think 11 years and um, someone I love so much and someone who leads people to Jesus so, so well. So church, let's welcome Dr. Mm. Jeff Warren All right, this all morning. right, all right. Wow. Thanks, Justin. Love you all so much. Hey, let's get started. How many of y'all have ever jumped out of an airplane? Anybody in here? Anybody? Okay. Wow. Like a lot of you. Fun fact, your pastor and I have jumped out of an airplane together. Uh, these guys are about to jump out. This guy's praying over here on the left because, well, they might die. That's why he's praying. Um, but this is a group of special ops, special forces of the army. I don't know if you have ever heard of what's called a halo jump. Anybody ever heard of this? Halo jump, not, not the multiplayer video game, kids. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about jumping out of an airplane where they take you up as high as 45,000 feet. The, the idea, this was formed in the 1960s, get above radar so the enemy doesn't know that you're coming. They, you're just stealth. You, they don't know you're anywhere around. And it's usually at night, so I'm guessing maybe the sun is, is rising here or, you know, cinematography. But um, usually at night they'll jump. And the idea is to go as high as you possibly can, high altitude, and then jump out of the airplane when you get over enemy lines is what this is. So when they find the spot, they start to go, right? Now these guys are, are jumping. I don't know that you do a flare where you can see each other. You're trying to be as... Um, undetected as possible and so they're flying through through the air together these guys reach up to 126 130 miles an hour there was a record uh, halo jump uh, some years ago uh, the highest jump ever it was a couple years ago where a guy jumped almost like from outer space and he was in the air for 13 minutes where he's just coming coming down to uh, you know to the earth so the idea is to jump from so high up that you come down without the enemy seeing you at all. Now the key is, of course, you have to have oxygen, again, at this, at this altitude. But the key is to, um, the other part of the jump is to get as close as possible to land. Or you're sitting duck, right? Just you know, coming down into enemy lines. And the key is to open your chute at the last second. And if you survive the jump, you get to fight the enemy. So this is an apt analogy. All analogies break down. But this is a great analogy of what it is. It says in Ephesians 2.6 that we've been raised up with Christ in the heavenlies. Okay, now this doesn't mean like, oh, we're going to heaven someday. Heavenlies, in this case, means up where he is, at a place where Jesus is. We are with him. If you have received Christ, okay, you've accepted his grace with all that he's done on the cross, you have accepted him, you now are walking with him, you are with him, inextricably linked forever with him by faith. We've been raised up, which means we are now seated with him, we have a new identity, we are totally forgiven, completely loved, 
And then the Bible says, in essence, we've been dropped back, if you will, into enemy lines. Back into, now let's go fight the fight. The twist, of course, is we don't fight with violence. It's not the power of this world. We fight with the fight of love. We love people so much as Christ has loved us, we live questionable lives. Like they're going, why do you live the way you live? Why do you love me like you love me? Why are you serving me? And we get to tell them because we've been raised up with Christ. We've been changed. Our hearts have been changed. We're not wallowing down in the stuff of this world anymore. We have been raised up and now the Lord sends us. In John 17, in fact, Jesus said to his disciples in the high priestly prayer, he said, and you've heard this said probably, something like, uh, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. Anybody ever heard that? In the world, that's not exactly what he says. He says, you are not of this world, and now you're sent into the world. We are a sent people, is what it is. The whole life in Jesus has this, uh, this, this outward focus, outward seeking focus, always dying to ourselves, always seeking to love others as he loves us. The Bible uh, describes it this way. In the book of Revelation, uh, which really is a model for, for us now. I don't know if there's a more relevant book in so many ways because Revelation is not so much predictive as it is prophetic. In other words, if you don't live like this, this is what's going to happen. But in the book of Revelation, we're following the way of the lamb is how we overcome. And the way of the lamb, through the blood of the lamb, having been forgiven completely, following the way of the lamb, which is the way of, of sacrifice. I mean, follow Jesus, uh, he ended up on the cross. Who's up for that? Let's have an invitation, right? It's, it's following him. The way of the lamb is to die to ourselves. It's the cruciform life. That's what it is. A life that looks like him. But the book of Revelation describes us as exiles in Babylon. Anybody feeling that? And Babylon represents any oppressive, uh, often militaristic, okay, violent even culture that we now are sent into to be light in the world. In fact, Stanley Hauerwas, great theologian, he calls us resident aliens. Listen, when you, when you came to Christ, he didn't, and this some of our students this weekend, bam, just zap you up to heaven. Why not? Well, you can say, well, so I can now tell everyone about Jesus. Yes, yes, but so that you can live with him and advance his kingdom. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God, which means we are living in a kingdom here in this world as ambassadors for Jesus. So when people see us, they, they come into this relationship with us and they see how we are in relationship with Jesus because he was the first missionary. Think about it. From the very top all the way down to where we are, he came to us raises us up to be with him, a new identity, new life, and now we are to then go forth. What does this look like? Well, it looks like what you're talking about these days, this principle is to multiply, to multiply, to multiply his love wherever we go. I want you to turn to Ephesians 3, all right? Grab your Bible and turn there. I hope you have your Bible. I hope our students maybe have your Bible, um, but everybody grab a Bible. Um, because I want you to open the word 
This is the word of God, by the way. How many believe that God speaks through his word? Like raise your hand. If you really believe he speaks through his Bible. Okay, here's the thing. Gang, listen. As Christians, at some point you're going to have to open your Bible. Do you? I mean, oh yeah, he speaks through his word. Wouldn't that mean you'd be in it every day? Like really? I would argue if you raise your hand and say, oh yeah, he speaks through his word and you're not in the word, you don't believe that. We gotta be in it multiple times a day, right? If he speaks to us, and I know that's what this church is all about. Your pastor is so faithful to the word of God. And I'm gonna speak today to um, this group of students, but all of us, Gen Z, you know, everybody's talking about Gen Z. Y'all know this, right? Everybody's talking about you. But it's like every generation that's gone before us. Oh, those young people. I mean, every generation, like back in the 50s. Oh yeah, that's crazy stuff. The 60s, 70s, 80s, all the way to the aughts, all the way till now. And I'm kind of a student of culture. I love Gen Z. I have so much hope for this generation because you guys are awesome. And you're setting and blazing a new trail for what the church can be in the future to come. But I'm telling you right here today, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life pursuing the stuff of this world, trying to find your identity outside of Christ. We sang about it earlier. He is, God is the great I am. We know who we are. I know who I am because the I am has told me who I am. And you say, well, that sounds weird. I am was the name Yahweh, right? And it meant, check it out, he's present tense for one. He's the God of the past, the future. He's, he's here and now. But he said, I am who I am to Moses. Up against all the other gods, you guys want to name all the Egyptian gods, everything else. Nobody names me, is what he's saying. I define myself. I am who I am. That's who God is. And then he gives us this new identity. When we come to Christ, we're totally forgiven, fully loved by him. And we step into that relationship. And God changes our hearts. Because listen, Gen Z, this generation, born 97 to 2012, this generation is, is seeking to find its identity in so many places. And we're trying to, you know, if, how about this? John Paul Sartre was an atheist philosopher who said, if there is no God, and he was an atheist, if there is no God, then man, he said it this way, man is damned to be free. Cursed, if you will, to be free. And what he meant was, okay, now, if there's no God, then you decide who you are. You determine that. You find it. You decide what your identity is, how you identify. You decide who you are, not God. Because there is no God, so good luck with that is what he's saying. And then he says this, that is a life that is a recipe for anxiety. Think about that, right? I gotta determine what the purpose of this life is. I've gotta decide who I am. There's no standard, there's no authority that says, no, here's who you are. God has created us. We enter into relationship with him because Jesus has come to us and he's changed our lives. And, and I am so grateful for this church. I mean, just to offer a little personal word and I could go on and on and I won't. I'm, I'm tasked to preach the word of God today. But I'm telling you, I love your pastor so much. I was with him just a few weeks ago, had lunch with him and Ellie was with us, it was so fun. 
But I'm telling him, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking about preaching out of you know, Ephesians 3. And all I'm doing today is stepping into the flow of what God's already doing here. That's my role. And he said, wait a minute, what? I said, yeah, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. He said, that's, oh my gosh. That's the prayer I'm praying for our church. He told you he's going to do this. Every day he's praying this prayer we're going to look at today over you. And Sam's fingerprints are all over this message today. So I'm just here to represent him. But I praise God. Stacy and I are so thrilled to be here with you today. And praise the Lord, Dean now, wow, to be on this Sunday. And praise God for Grant Bird, our student pastor here, for the leadership that he brings to our students. Come on. And, um, and even more so, can I say it? What about Jill Bird? I mean, like Grant. Grant. Grant cannot do what he does without Jill. And so praise be to God. I talked to, uh, to Randy Moreland uh, this past week. A lot of you know Randy who just retired and we served together here for a while. And we were just reflecting on our time together here. And, you know, Randy is, um, I mean, frankly, he's a mess because he loves y'all so much. So we're praying for each other. And uh, he was packing up. I mean, it's like the day before he's leaving for Arkansas and we're just, pr- we're just praying together and we're just weeping like little babies because we're just so grateful. Tears of joy because God had brought us to this place at a time when we were able to serve him. This is a very special church, friends. If you're new here today, this is an amazing church family. And if, if you're looking for a church family, I don't know why you would go anywhere else, frankly. I think you found it, okay? Um, but what I'm gonna do today, if you've been here a couple weeks ago, um, my guy, Ryan too, okay, preached on um, multiplying churches. And of course, he and Sarah are going to go launch a church, Highlands Baptist Church up in Melissa. Now, Stacy and I are tempting, you know, tempted to just quit everything and come join them up in Melissa. We love the two so much. It was a sad day when he and um, Sarah and Judah at the time, when they left Park City. It's a sad day when they leave here, but you know this, because this is the church we are right here. To live the mission of life means you're always saying goodbye because you're always raising up, making disciples, sending out, or you're going yourself. That's how it goes. We continue to go. We continue to move, and that's what they're doing. And then last week, I listened to Chris's sermon. Your executive pastor just an amazing, brilliant message on how do we do this, making disciples. Okay, multiplying churches, multiplying relationships, multiplying disciples. Today, I'm going to talk about multiplying environments, okay? You may have seen this along the way, and you're like, wait, what does that mean? It means to create space where particularly students can gather for decades to come, all right? And so... He talked about, Chris talked about how the gospel moves at the speed of relationships, one person at a time. I want to delve into that a bit more, all right? Because I know this is true about this church. Christ is at the center of everything you do. If that's not the case, then we're not much of a church, right? He, is, he centers us. I know that scripture guides us in everything. Your staff and team is committed to the word of God. I know that... Um, that cultural engagement, loving your neighbor compels you to go, to be like Jesus. And I know too that, that serving defines this church, serving others. And what I want to talk about today is the exclamation point on all of that. God's glory drives us in everything we do. 
Glory to him and not to ourselves. Well, what is glory? Glory is the word doxa, okay, in the Greek. The word, um, it, it means, it means the, the expression of God's character, who he is, namely his holiness. And his holiness is not simply one of his many traits. Holiness is how he's separate, set apart in all of his traits, okay? So I say it this way. A lot of, we're often, well, I'm glad, I'm glad God's smarter than me. I know he is, like he's God. So he's really, I mean, I'm not, I'm kind of smart, but he's really smart. No, 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 no. He knows everything. There's nothing he doesn't know. Like you're never surprised by something, right? We say, well, he's more loving than me. I'm really glad about that because I don't always love people. No, no, his love is perfect. It's infinite and it's eternal in time. He, I mean, he's way past where any of us are. His grace goes forth and his glory is the expression of his character. Everything recalibrates back to who he is. And this is our focus in this passage today. So Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. I'm going to do this. I'm just going to read this over you, okay? I'm going to read it over you and um, then we're going to parse it out, break it down. For this reason... Okay, always context matters. What's he talking about? He has just spent three chapters essentially explaining the gospel. This is what Paul always does in his epistles. This is who you are. This is what Christ has done. But God stepped in and he saved you. You were alienated from him. You were sons and daughters of disobedience. You were dead in your trespasses. But God sent Christ to rescue you. And so he goes on explaining the mystery of the gospel revealed. Saved not by works, by faith in what Christ has already done. I say it often, the, the Christian life is not work harder, get better. The Christian life is believe more deeply what Christ has already accomplished for you. That's the gospel. So Paul says, okay, with all this in mind, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father who, um, who, whom, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that, one of his favorite phrases, the purpose clause, so that Christ may dwell, there's the word, in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, you see this kind of uh, plant growing metaphor, rooted, grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Whew. That's an entire series of messages. And then verse 20. Now to him who is able, he's able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. This is the prayer, yes, thank you. This is the prayer that your pastor's been praying over you. I prayed the same prayer over this church for many years. But here's what I want you to see. In this passage, here's how it breaks down. If you take notes on sermons, all right? Students can help me here. We are, we're planted in the past. We're rooted in the present. I mean, we are, we're going deep in the present. We'll spend some time on that. And we are growing, flourishing into the future. 
That's how we're going to break it down today as we talk about where we are in this cultural moment and in the history of this church right now. So first, we're planted in the past. Very unique passage here. We're getting into Paul's devotional life. We're getting into his prayer life. I mean, this is, this is wild. Like, this is in this is journal. This is what he's praying. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So, for this reason, he's talking about what's happened in the past. We're planted in what has already happened in the past. But he's also talking about how God has been at work. He's the one who created all things. And he's the one who has this redemptive story that's been going on from eternity past into eternity into the future. We happen to just step in to what he's already doing. So to be planted in the past means that we are attached to God and his infinite love for us. We're connected. We didn't just show up yesterday as a church. We've been part of his plan all along. And, and we are part of the global church with all he's doing in the world. He is the master of our lives. He is the preeminent one. He is savior and Lord. You know, I hear people talking about uh, asking Jesus to be Lord of your life. Have you asked Jesus to be savior of your life? And I get it. There's a decision to be made. Or even worse, um, have you made Christ Lord of your life yet? Have you done that? Listen, you don't make Christ Lord. He's already Lord. He rules over everything. That's what it means. He's master leader over everything. You don't ask him to be Lord of your life. You acknowledge that he is already. And yes, there's a decision. You say, come into my life because of who you are. I give you my life because I don't know what I'm doing. And it's not going well for me to be Lord of my life. And so we acknowledge him as Lord because of the finished work that he's done. This is what Paul's talking about. We're planted in a, an event, an historic event that's already taken place. They asked the great Swiss uh, theologian, Karl Barth, when, when were you saved? And he said, 33 AD. It's done. There's nothing more to be done. And you can't add to what Christ has done. It's not Jesus plus your good works, your smarts, your understanding of the Bible. It's not, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. A lot of us believe we've been saved by grace, but maybe not by grace alone. And we keep seeking to add to it. No, what we do is we respond to his love for us. We obey him not to gain his approval. We obey him because we already have it. Those are two very different things. One is motivated out of love for him. But you are not, listen, you're not defined by your past. Young people, older people, you're not defined by your past. I have a friend of mine who I talked to last Sunday. And he is going through court proceedings this next week. And he's going to end up in prison for a long time. He's 23 years old. Because of a mistake that he made. Great young man. Who loves the Lord. And he and I talked the last time I would see him for a while. And I put my hands on his shoulder and I looked him in the eyes. And I said, listen, you remember this? You're not defined by what you've done. You're not defined by your worst mistake that you've ever made. This is true for all of us here. You are not defined by your past. Listen, 
You're defined by Jesus' past, and his past is perfect. This is the new identity we have in him. You're set free. This is why you can live a life that is filled with joy, peace. Young people, you can be brave in this world. Because nothing that can come against you can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So we are planted in the past. And I want you to see this. Not only that, we're rooted in the present. I want to talk about this. I love this. This is where we get to the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Okay? The reality of his love is changing us right here, right now. As we dwell in him. Look at this. That according, this is verse 16, to the riches of his glory. There's another entire sermon. He may grant you to be strengthened with power, dunamis, dynamite, spirit, power in your inner being. Now he's talking about the inner life that we have with Jesus. Now he's talking about being a disciple, walking with Christ so that, verse 17, Christ may dwell in your hearts, dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted, okay, there it is, grounded in love, Okay, you're dwelling in him, filled with the spirit of God. Established is the word, established in his love. He's saying that the Christian life is to remain in his love. How do you do that? Everything keeps coming back to him. You walk with him, you're in his word, you pray. It's, 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 an, it's a, a focus and it is a discipline to walk with him, to partner with him. It says that you may have strength. What are we focused on? What, what is he talking about here? That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know, right, this is the word gnosis, you might have heard that before, and this is experiential knowledge. This is not like you know math or something or you have no facts. This is having experienced something. Okay, so experience what? Look at this. Let's unpack this. The breadth of his love. This is the wide range of the love of God, which surpasses knowledge, he says, because it's experienced. It goes past knowledge. And the breadth of his love means that every person on the planet is loved by God. Doesn't matter what the color of your skin, what your pedigree is, doesn't matter where you're from, how much money you have. He loves every tribe, every nation on the planet. And he's called us to do the same. See, in front of the cross, it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. It doesn't matter, can I say it? it? doesn't matter how you vote. God loves everybody. And he's calling us to do the same. Well, Jeff, you just don't know some people in my life. I mean, they are, no. I mean, I can say, if I do, I know you. He loves you. You see, we all, we're always thinking somebody else is wrong, right? I might be wrong. And so I come with a humble posture. The breadth of his love means that, that none of this matters, that he loves all people. The length of his love, the length of his love is, is Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Young people, you need to listen. You need to hear this. God will never leave you. He, he will never, you can't outrun him. If you've received his grace, you can't then go run off somewhere and it's like, well, I give up. I can't. One, of the, one theologian said, he's the hound of heaven. He'll track you down. He's coming after you with his love, with his grace. That is the length of his love. Look at the height of his love. This is, this is where he wants to take us. This is that high altitude of love with him, a place of peace, a place of grace, a place of purpose. 
being forgiven, given a new identity. He takes us to where he is, totally forgiven. Then it says the depth of his love. How far has Jesus descended to get you? He's come again, Philippians 2, from the very top all the way down. One theologian said he dis, disrobed his, his divinity to become man. Yes, the God-man so that he might walk among us, live the perfect life for us because you could not. Die on a cross for your sin because you could not. He becomes our substitute. I've said it before. The, here's the truth about the gospel. Jesus did not come to be your good example. He's that. He came to be your perfect substitute. That's why he came. Now then, let him be your good example as you follow him in response to what he's done for you. So we receive his grace and we grow in his love, you see. He emptied himself. And, and you need to hear this today. Some of you are in the darkest, deepest place of your life, perhaps. Or you're thinking about that thing that keeps wearing you down. And I want you to hear this today. Because of who he is, your sin does not repel him. Doesn't surprise him. Your sin actually triggers his love toward you because that's who he is. That's what he does. And so he comes to us to rescue us. This means that if I have found all the love I need in him, listen, I can love everyone else without any need for love in return. Like you can't offend me. You can't upset me. But Jeff, aren't we supposed to be mad about everything nowadays? Like somebody offends me. We're so easily offended, aren't we? Somebody offends me, I'm gonna cancel them. Aren't we supposed to do that now? If you follow the way of the world, yes. We don't follow the way of the world. This is how we stand out. We are different because Jesus came for us to follow him. What does this look like? It looks like discipleship. It looks like being a disciple. And that's what this church is all about. Because see, Jesus didn't come to make converts. He came to make, what? Disciples. It's possible in our nation today. This is the problem with American church. It's possible to claim to be a Christian and not be a disciple of Jesus. That is nowhere in the Bible. And some people, you know, and then you're wondering, well, then I don't know. Then am I, what do I need to do? What I, I, listen, if you've understood his grace, you respond to that and you give your life completely to him. Because asking, even the question, are you saved? And a lot of us, yeah, I'm saved. I came to Christ when I was, you know, I was a child or, you know, back in D now, back in the day, I came to faith in G. I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I call them concourse Christians. It's going to the airport got your ticket, now you're just sitting there waiting for your plane to go off. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you understand what Christ has done for you and you give him everything that you have, all of your life. And yes, continuing to dwell in him and to grow in him, become more and more like him. To ask, are you saved, is like asking, uh, what's the minimum requirement that I could get in to heaven? That's what I wanna know. It'd be like me coming to Stacy, to my wife, and saying, honey, what's like the minimum requirement for me to like be your husband? Because I'm, you know, I'm just, just wondering. Like I came to, you know, I come to her 23, you know, when we get married, 23 years old. Hey, let's get married, but let, what is like the minimum 
requirement for this relationship here. She'd be like, peace out, I'm done. <laughs> because, listen, that's nuts. And when I consider her love for me, my love for her, all of that pales in comparison, frankly, as great as it is, to God's love for me in Christ. Jesus loves me so much, he died on the cross for me. My only response is to worship him with my life. It's not what's the minimum requirement. You see, so many believers, Christians in our culture today, they want to see Jesus pervade culture, but not permeate their hearts. Complete disconnect. And a watching world is saying, that Christian stuff, you guys are jacked up. But we can show a better way. And this generation is showing a better way. Because it's possible to claim to be a Christian and not be a disciple, and that is nowhere in the Bible. And I want that to just sink in today. I'm going to wrap it up with this. What is success then as a disciple? Here's what I've come to. Success is faithfulness. Now, there's more that I could say about this, but I'm going to move quick. It, it looks like faithfulness. What is, full stop, faithfulness. Like not faithfulness in order to get something, prosperity, gospel, faithfulness, so everything will go well with me. Listen, coming to Christ is not now you receive Jesus, everything is going to go well with you. Have you figured this out yet? It means you get Jesus and whatever comes your way, he's more than enough. That's what it is. And we walk with him and he, he receives glory through all of our good and bad times. What does faithfulness look like? That's the question. Faithfulness looks like being fully present with whomever God puts in front of you and whatever he's called you to do. And I add there, in the moment. This has been so freeing for me over the past couple of years. I have sought to live this way, to be fully present with whomever God puts in front of me, whatever he's called me to do in the, minute, in the moment. It looks like attentiveness. It looks like focus. We don't do that very well these days, do we? Like, put your phone down. Sorry. We, we need to be attentive. We need to be focused with whomever God's put in front of us. That's discipleship. That is what it means to love someone. Because attention is the beginning of devotion. You can't love someone if you're not focused on them. I have a friend who is a recovering addict. Um, and he's been sober for some time. He has a ministry and helping people. He loves Jesus, helping people come out of addiction. And I asked him, bro, how do you do it? And, and he said, man, I focus on the present. If I go into the future, listen to this. If I go, because we're all addicts. If I go into the future, all I have is anxiety and worry. If I go into the past, all I've got is shame and regret. I got to stay right here. Right now in the presence, dwelling in the love of Jesus that is constantly defining us and redefining us. And so we're planted in the past, we're rooted in the present, and finally, we'll close with this, growing in the future. We're growing into the future. Look at what he says. Now to him who is able, he's able to do more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory. In his church, okay, the gathered people of God in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. I wanna show you um, a picture that uh, was about, I think it's about 15, 20 years ago maybe. Um, you can see, look at those jeans, let's go. Um, I'm, so I'm, yeah, I'm the guy in the middle with the hair is who that is. 
Uh, and a couple of my daughters there. Look at Darby Bird, y'all. Right over there. Darby's there with, with Grant. This, I'm showing you this picture because there was a host of people. How many were here when this building was built? Anybody? Okay. How many students have actually spent a little time in this building as a child? Anybody? Okay. All of these young people, a lot of them, a lot of you are new here or um, just here today. Here's my point. There's a group of people who came along and said, we're going to give, I mean, millions of dollars to build a children's building for the next generation to come so that children can come to know the love of Christ, that they can be loved from the tiniest, littlest disciples among us, that they would be raised up to know that God loves them. Can you imagine this church if a group of people hadn't decided we're going to do this by faith? We don't know who's going to come. We don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to come together and we're going to build this thing so that, so that kids from all over Collin County and people moving here from all around the world are going to someday come and discover the love of Jesus. Because friends, listen, we are at an inflection point right now. I, I've never been more urgent in my ministry and, and, and sharing the gospel because, here it is, we are at an inflection point. We've seen a, a religious shift in America unlike anything that we've seen um, since the previous shift, which was 25 years after the Civil War, where the first and second great awakening saw people come into faith in Christ by the droves. This shift is going in the other direction. We have, we have, in the past 25 years, since the turn of the century, essentially, turn of the millennium, we have seen more people leave the church than were saved during the first and second Great Awakening and in all of the Billy Graham Crusades combined. 40 million people who said they once went to church once a month to now they go less than once a year. 25 years this has happened. Sociologists tell us this is the, the, the greatest religious shift in American history. And unless revival comes, we're going to find ourselves and our students growing up, growing old in the most secular country we've, we've ever been. And I'm sharing this as we close, not to say, so be afraid. Be brave. Be brave, because watch this, the darker it gets, the brighter we shine. And that's what God has called us to, because he's worthy of it all. And if you wonder who wins, if you wonder where all of history is heading, I hear politicians talk, oh, this is where history is heading. Let me tell you where history is heading. Let's close with this. Revelation 7, it says this. After I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every tribe or every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Praise be to God. Amen. Let's pray together. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your scripture. I pray for anyone here today, maybe unfinished business with some of our students or even some of our adults. 
that they would come to, to you and say, yes, Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I've made you out to be a good example, trying to be good enough, trying to live the Christian life. I have not received your grace and made a commitment to you. Friend, listen, do it right now. Just say, Lord, come into my life. By faith, I receive your grace. You are Lord of all and you are Lord of my life. I, I submit my life to you. I surrender my life to you. And friend, many of us here today, we need to decide we're actually going to be apprentices of Jesus. We're going to be disciples who follow him every day. We're going to be in his word. We're going to pray. We're going to seek to grow with others. And many of us need to decide not to waste our lives, but to invest in all that God is doing here in this place. Lord, we love you. We praise you for Jesus, to whom all glory all glory is deserved because you alone are worthy of it all. And we know in you the best is yet to come. And we pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. amen. And amen. If you don't know that you've, you know, he, Jeff just mentioned his prayer, this idea of surrendering your life to Jesus. Um, if you don't, if you've never done that, or you're like, you know, I've been to church, but I, I don't know if I've ever done that. We would love, it would be like the greatest thing to talk to you about that today. So when we're done in here, if you just go right out those doors right there, just kind of head down the hall, we've got some folks. We would love, love, love to talk to you about what it looks like to really be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. And what, what we're talking about, this idea of multiplying stuff, we would love the chance to talk to you about that. So don't, don't miss that opportunity. Uh, we're going to close today, just reminder about Multiply. If you've uh, been talking about this the last two Sundays, but um, if you haven't been with us the last two Sundays, really quickly, really quickly, um, back in February, maybe you weren't a part of our church back then, uh, we really came together around this idea that we think God is calling us to this emphasis to multiply. And that's the relationships. We think we're going to multiply through planting of churches and missions and in the environment. Uh, we think that that facility will facilitate the making of disciples right here who will then turn around and make disciples and make disciples and make disciples. That's what the thing is about. That's really what it is at its core. Uh, even this morning when we were having a prayer time beforehand, somebody else is praying and they, in their prayer, they just brought this up and I thought, Oh, that's perfect. Uh, you know, Jeff is the pastor at, at Park Cities. At a time he had some young guy that he brought that was doing camp ministry and brought him in under him named Sam Holm. Do y'all remember him? Yeah. Uh, Sam then was, uh, Jeff invested in him. He kind of grew up in his pastoral leadership, and then he came here and took a head pastorship here. Sam has not only preached the word from this pulpit, but he has discipled guys one-on-one, one-on-two type stuff with guys who've then turned around and done that with other people who are looking to do it with a guy. So you're, you're looking like five or six generations just right there. That's what we're, when we talk about multiply, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. That's, that's the emphasis. That's the goal. That's the thing that brings God glory is when you see the kingdom advance like that. So that's really what this is about. So if you were not with us uh, back in, in February, or maybe you were with us and it just, I don't know, it wasn't a good time. I don't know. Um, I am going to ask you to join with us, to come along with us. Um, it, right in front of you in the pew, you have this card that says multiply. This is a commitment card. 
just like what Jeff showed us, there was a time 22 years ago, I think it was, when the church said, we believe in multiplying and we think that we need a facility to do that with kids. And the church came together and they sacrificially gave so that that could happen. We're kind of at that time again now. And so again, don't, if you're here with us and you're part of us, I'm just inviting you to do what we've all done. It's real simple. It's pray and obey, pray and obey. Just go ask God, God, how would you have me have a personal encounter with God? How would you have me use the resources you've given me to further your kingdom? That's it. You just pray and then whatever he tells you to do, you just fill out the card. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's just a matter of obedience. And so I'm going to challenge you. This is, this is kind of, we've been talking about the last two weeks. This week is kind of the, okay, let's, let's do this week. So grab a card and then you can turn it in, you know, baskets at the doors. You can uh, put it in the little blue boxes we have. You can hand it to a staff member, whatever. I'm just inviting you to join with us and seeing what God's doing here. So I want to ask you to do that. And then the last thing, for everyone, you can see this has been up here the whole morning. Um, what is that? Well, this is to help remind us about what, what is multiply. What, it, what are we doing? Oh, we're just building a building. No, we're not just building a building. That's, that's, no, that's not exciting. <laughs> What's exciting is multiplying disciples that will happen in that building. So what is this for? This is just for us to remember what this is all about. So what I would ask you to do, if you haven't already done this, come by, grab a ping pong ball. We've got some Sharpies and write the name of somebody you would like to see become a disciple. That maybe God would use you to make that happen. So you're just going to write their name on it. Just again, as a reminder, this is about what this is. This is the whole thing. This is the whole enchilada. And so you just write their name and drop it in the, they've got little, two, little holes at the top and it'll fill it up. All right. Is that easy? Easy. Nod your heads and y'all can get out of here. Yeah, well, so, so enthusiastic. I love it. You guys are awesome. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Gotta thank you for your word this morning to us through Jeff. I pray a blessing on him uh, for bringing it and for standing here and, and uh, God, for the time he spent putting into that. Gotta pray you bless him. Gotta pray you bless his leadership at Park Cities, God. You would use that to multiply that church as well. God, use us this week, use us this week to love our neighbor, to move the ball forward in a relationship with someone so that we could earn the right to tell them about the greatest thing that's ever happened to us, about your great love. God, we think that you're awesome, worthy of praise, and worthy of us worshiping you with our life this week. So we say that in Jesus' name, amen. Go. All right, have a great week. Thank you for joining us today for Worship Online. If you're in our area, we want to invite you to come to physically connect to your local church. We would love to help you to live and love like Jesus alongside of others who are doing the same. If you're from outside of our area, can I challenge you to find a local church in your area that's going to preach the Bible and exalt Jesus? Smash the like button, subscribe, share with friends, and turn on notifications if you'd like to stay up to date with us. And thanks again for joining us.